1: Mark chapter 1, and we're going to read the first uh, few verses here in Mark chapter 6, and then we're going to go back and we're going to go through the entire fifth chapter of Mark. We're going to read all, uh, all those verses there, and, and so I've got to hurry, right, because we're not going to be here a real long time tonight, but uh, there is a particular thought that I believe the Lord would have us to uh, have this evening. Mark chapter 6, verse number 1, the word of God says, And went, excuse, excuse me, he went, rather, out from thence, and came into his own country. And his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was begun, was come, rather, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands?' Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joses, and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching." Now, if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I would bring your attention to verse number five in three particular words. The Bible says that he could do there, please mark them, no mighty works. No mighty works. Now, it's very interesting to me that you find that Jesus is in the optimal place, it would seem, to do his mightiest works. Look, if you would, at verse number one. And he went out from thence and came where? To his own country. This is home. These are the people that know him. As a matter of fact, they identify him very quickly. Verse number three, is not this the carpenter's son? We know his mom. We know his brothers. If Jesus was to do his work most powerfully anywhere, it would seem that this is the place that he would do it. And now here's the interesting thing. Not only is this home, not only are these people who know him, but they're actually the people who know most about him. I don't just mean by that who he is, his brothers and his sister. No, that's, that's, that's surface. That's, that's more sort of peripheral. But look at what they say in verse number two. The Bible says, And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him, were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? In my Bible, I have no mighty works, in verse number 5 underlined, Then I have such mighty works, underlined in verse number 2, and I've connected them. Now, these are people who know him, humanly speaking, this is home for Jesus, but not only that, these are people who have been eyewitnesses and, as we would say, perhaps ear witnesses to really who Jesus is. They said, listen when this man speaks, listen to the wisdom. Jesus, in one particular place, he's teaching and the religious leaders say, go get him and bring him to us. And so these men come to apprehend Jesus and they return to the religious leaders and Jesus is nowhere to be found. And they said, well, where is he? And they said, no man ever spake as this man speaks. It's almost as if they forgot what their job was. They went and they heard him and they were just dumbfounded. They came back and then they said, where is he? They, oh, oh, that's right, got a job to do. No man ever, no ever spoke like this man. He speaks with authority, the Bible says, as one having authority, not as the scribes. And so these people are familiar with this otherworldly wisdom that he possesses. And they are familiar with these otherworldly works that he does. And yet, in that place, he is unable to do his mightiest works. So what does he do? It's almost sad to even read these words. Go to verse number five. He could there do no mighty works, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. Now, if you're one of those sick folk, you go, yeah, but that's a pretty good deal for me. And we don't want to ever underestimate or or not give the glory to God that is due to him in the lives of a few sick folks. But can I ask you something tonight? Is there more? Is there more? I don't don't want to sound ungrateful for everything that God has done in my own life. I don't want to sound ungrateful for everything that God has done through the life and ministry of the Tabernacle Baptist Church, but I must ask the question, is there more? I want you to know tonight that if you are content with where you are in your Christian life, I'm not going to talk to you this evening. I'm talking to me. I'm talking to the ones who are not content. Johnson Oatman wrote a number of hymns that are in our hymn book. Perhaps his greatest hymn is Higher Ground. Amen. I would agree with Mr. Oatman. Amen. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's tableland, a higher plane. Is there nothing more? Is God not able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask and think? And and again, please don't get me wrong. I'm so grateful that the the baptismal waters were stirred this morning. I'm so grateful that even in this pandemic time, our church family is growing. I'm, I'm blessed by all that is happening in this place. But, you know, we teach our kids, God can do anything, anything, anything. My God can do anything. Are we seeing the anything? Are we seeing such mighty works or are we content to see just a few sick folk? I draw your attention to Mark chapter 5. There are three stories given to us in this great chapter. One of my favorite chapters, perhaps in all of the Bible. But there are three stories given to us here in Mark chapter 5. And in all three stories, we find a representation of what God is able to do And yet, we do not see such mighty works, but we see a few sick folk. Chapter 5, and verse number 1, the Bible says And they came over unto the other side of the sea, unto the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answering, say, And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much, that he would not send, him, send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountain a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them." And forthwith, Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil had had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. They were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him, howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. You know the story. Jesus comes across the sea, and as soon as he steps out of the ship, there is a man there, and this man is possessed with many demons. And he runs to him, and he, and he cries out to him, and Jesus casts the demons out, but of course, he does, not, he does not just cast them out. The demons ask to be cast into a herd of swine. Let me pause here just for a moment and say to you, this is the value that the devil puts upon you and upon me. Not a man? Fine, we'll take a pig he doesn 't care for you he doesn 't care for the for the unsaved there 's nothing in him that has any care at all i 'll take a pig, or a person it doesn 't matter to me and so Jesus allows them to enter into this herd of pigs and they run violently down a steep place and into the sea and they are choked and those that keep the sheep or the, the, the pigs there they go into town and they, they tell them what has happened, and they come out and, and they Investigate a little bit, well, what exactly happened, and, and how did the, all the pigs die, and, and what's the real story? And, and when they explain to them what happened, they ask Jesus to leave. It's amazing. They come and they see Joe. And Joe, yesterday, was a lunatic man. And by the way, he wasn't just a lunatic yesterday. He was a lunatic yesterday and the day before and the day before. and the day before. This is a man who has terrorized this whole community. They won't send their young children to certain parts of town because Joe might be there. They, they disrupt their normal activity because, well, you know, Joe, he usually this time of the day, he's here or he's there, and you can't enjoy a funeral. A loved one of yours dies, and you can't even enjoy the, the passing in, in a peaceful way because he's out among the tombs, and he's terrorizing people, and he's cutting himself, and it's a scene all the time. And you show up, and that man is sitting at Jesus' side. He's clothed. He's in his right mind, and you say... Praise and glory be to God. Let me in on this. No. Here's what they said. Where's the pigs? Where's our pigs? And someone says, hey, don't you want to know what happened? Yeah, Okay. I see, Joe. Oh, wonderful. Where's my pigs? I'm more interested in pigs than I am in this man. What was the problem? The Bible gives us the problem. Look at verse number 15. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They were afraid. You say, what were they afraid of? They were afraid of the change that Jesus was going to make in their community if he stuck around. Look, we may have a few more demoniacs who are who who have the devils cast out of them. We may have some people who are sick that might get healed. But if he sticks around, it may cost us a few more pigs. So, Jesus, you have to go. And in 2020, we read this and we we just think, well, how awful are they? But we're guilty. We're guilty. If God's ever going to do a mighty work, let me tell you, He is going to shake some things up in my life. He's going to change me. He's going to have to bend my will to His own will. I'm going to have to give up some some luxuries. I'm going to have to give up some things. I'm going to have to sacrifice things that maybe in a temporal way may be difficult. But listen, do I want to see a few sick folk, or am I willing to see the mighty works of God? What are we afraid of? You know, there's, there's fear everywhere in our country. There's fear, absolutely. The fear is palpable. Everyone's afraid. We're afraid, I think, we're so often afraid that what we consider that out there might actually make its way inside the walls of this church. Are you willing to sit beside that person in church service? Are you willing to share the gospel with somebody who does not look like you, or act like you, or talk like you? Perhaps they're antagonistic towards you? And let me be very honest, when I'm saying you, I'm saying me. Are we willing to do that? These people literally were so afraid of what it might temporarily cost them To see the mighty works of God that they said to the blessed Savior, we want you to go. And I'm wondering, in my own life, I'm wondering, would I be more content right now just to say, Jesus, if your mighty works show up, it's going to make me very uncomfortable. And I'm pretty comfortable. They were fearful. You say, I want to see... I want to see the mighty works of God, then you cannot be fearful. You cannot be afraid of the change that God is going to bring in your life. There's a second thing. We find in verse number 21, when Jesus had passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed and she shall live. And Jesus went with him. And much people followed him and thronged him. And then you have a story within a story. We sort of pause that story. Jesus gets out of the ship. Man meets him. Jesus, my daughter's going to die. Can you please come heal her? Sure, I'll come heal her. And on the way to heal her, he's interrupted. Verse 25. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. Great story, isn't it? woman who was sick 12 years, tried everything she could, all these doctors, these physicians, spending all of her money. One day Jesus comes by, and she says, If I can get to Jesus, all I have to do is just, all I have to do is just touch his clothes. And if I can just do that... I'll be healed. And she fights through the press of people, the, this mob, this throng of people. There's so many people, by the way, that when Jesus stops and says, who touched me, his disciples almost think it's a joke. Lord, what are you talking about? Who touched you? We can't number the number of people who have touched you. I mean, you've touched, you've touched dozens. Perhaps you've touched dozens of people as, as you go through this, this throng, this mob of, of people. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Somebody... Touched me. He says to this woman when she finally comes and says, yes, sir, it was me. He finally says to her, your faith has saved you. What was it that saw the mighty work of God in her life that nobody else in that crowd experienced? It was her faith. You see, fear, fearfulness will keep us From the mighty works of God, and so will faithlessness. There was a whole crowd who was fearful, and because they were fearful, they said, Jesus, please go, and he left. And there's this whole other crowd, and they are faithless. There's no faith. I want you to know that faith is the thing that unleashes the power and the promises of God to each of us. It's faith, it's simple faith. Now, faith is one of those things that we love to talk about, and we love to say, "Oh, I, I want faith, and and Lord, give me faith." But but what is faith actually? What is faith? Hold your place here and turn with me to James chapter two and verse number fourteen. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture, and I I, I gotta be very honest with you. I don't even know if I can put into human explanation what I believe about these next few verses, but these are powerful. James chapter 2 verse 14 what doth it profit my brethren though a man say he hath faith and have not works can faith save him well the answer to that question is given in subsequent verses when it says that abraham believed god it was counted to him for righteousness and so yes it is faith but the point is this verse 15 if a brother or a sister be naked or destitute of daily food and one of you say unto them depart in peace be ye warmed and filled notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body what doth it profit Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Go to verse number 16. I want you to mark a few words here. Mark the word say. And if one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye, and then mark this word, give. It is as easy as this. Ready? It's as easy as this. Be ye warmed and filled. Well, that's great. What did it accomplish? Not a thing. Not a thing. Be ye warmed and filled. All right, what would you give them? What did you give to warm them? What did you give to fill them? Oh, I didn't give them anything, but I, 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 in faith, spoke over them. Be ye warmed and filled. The point that God is trying to make to us is very simply this. You must have faith, but if you truly do have faith, then there is a work, there is an action that is inextricably linked to that, that heart of faith. May, may I say it to you like this? We say things like, um, there is no courage outside of fear. Right, There is no courage outside of fear because if if fear is not present, then there's nothing to be courageous about. So courage is not this, this warm, fuzzy feeling inside where I'm not afraid of anything. No, courage is action in the face of fear. I say to you in the same way that faith is not some warm, fuzzy feeling that I get inside. Faith is not something that happens here. Faith is something that is triggered and action must be taken place that matches up with that faith. We've got to do something. You say, I believe that God can save anybody in Hickory. Okay, but if we truly believe that, then we're going to hand out gospel tracts. We're going to speak to people about the Lord. We're going to invite them to church services. But if we're not doing those things, we can talk faith all day long. And he says, wilt thou not know, O vain man. It's vanity. It's empty. The thing that we we call faith is usually a box that when you open it up, there's nothing inside of it. There's no work to go with it. Here is a woman, and she says, from a distance, I have faith to believe that if I can put my hand on the clothes of the Son of God, then I can be healed. And her faith drives her through the crowd. Her faith is the thing that carries her to the Son of God. She reaches out a hand, and she touches Him, and she's healed. What is the difference? It is faith. It is somebody who says, Lord, I believe, and because of what I believe, I will be moved to action. The rest of the crowd that day, they had a neat experience. They had a neat experience. They they saw the Son of God. It was pretty neat. A few sick folk, but one woman. Her life was changed Her eternity was changed. Why? Because she was not faithless. Jesus is walking through the crowd. He's bumping into this person and that person. People are shaking his hand. They're patting him on the back as if he's some sort of a politician, you know. Jesus, kiss my baby. And as he's touching all of these people, he's touching them. And no doubt in the, in the mind of the Son of God, he knows the problems in every one of their life. He knows every sickness in their household. And as he touches them, he's thinking, I could. I could. If you believe me, I could. And one woman comes through the crowd and she touches him and I wonder as the Lord Jesus Christ passes up and down the aisles of this church, meeting after meeting, how long has it been since he stopped in front of my chair and said, somebody touched me? Has it been too long? Or do I watch him just walk by and say, well, this is a nice show. It's good to be in church today. This is a good experience. And the Son of God says, oh... There's such mighty works to be done, but you're faithless. You won't believe me. They were fearful. They were faithless. Look at verse number 33. The Bible says, but the woman, now check this out, fearing, You say, Brother Shots, wait a second, time out now. You're contradicting yourself. The Bible's contradicting itself because this woman is afraid. She's fearing. Don't miss this, please. It is the object of her fear. Solomon said it this way, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Do you know what the difference was? These people feared man. They feared feared the temporal. They feared what what it might cost them in this life. This woman feared God. Hold your place here. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. Let me show you something that I discovered a number of years ago. Of course, Solomon, the author of the book of Proverbs, deals a great deal with wisdom. And in the opening proverb, we find these words. As I mentioned, verse number seven, the fear of the Lord, it is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Uh, Now go to verse number 27, or verse number 28, rather. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. Notice in verse number 29, the fear of the Lord. And verse number 30, 33, the fear of evil. May I say to you, every one of us fears something. Everybody fears Something. Fear is a great motivator. Fear is, a, fear is one of those things that, that drives us. I, say, I believe that fear is probably the second greatest motivator that mankind knows. Second only to love. Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Let me tell you something. This woman had some fears to overcome. Don't you know that after 12 years there was a stigma about this woman? Don't you know that after 12 years, people had kind of written her off? Don't you know that that her pushing her way through that crowd was perhaps an inconvenience to those that, that were around her? And perhaps she thought, this is going to be embarrassing to me. I'm going to make a spectacle out of myself. But watch this. I fear God, and I want you to know that the fear of man will drive you from the Lord, but the fear of the Lord will draw you into his very presence. And her fear of God, her reverence for God, her awe of what God could do in her life was the thing that drew her to him. And she comes to him. She was, a, she was forgetting everything that they were thinking. And I want you to know that there are some of you perhaps in this room tonight and the fear of man is what's keeping you from the Lord. It's the fear of man. As a young man, I so struggled with my, my own salvation, and, and, and I had such great doubt. And you know what I thought to myself? I can't go forward in this church service. It'd be so embarrassing. Everybody would know that I was never truly a Christian, and I don't know if I could, if I, if I could handle all of that and, and, you know, blah, 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 and that's all the devil anyway. May I ask you, is the fear of man keeping you from settling the matter of your salvation? You say, I can't sell it to God. I can't be a true a, a true person of faith. I can, I can't be that person that, that steps out in faith and actually serves God because if I do, that other person in my youth group, they'll they'll think I'm just a little extreme. Look, my family already thinks I'm crazy. If I really sell out to the Lord, if I really move in faith and, and couple my, my faith with some works and, and get busy for God and try to see the, the mighty works that he can do in my life, I'm going to be labeled a fanatic and a, and a lunatic. And, and look, I'm just telling you, this world thinks you're crazy anyway. If you're here on Sunday night, they think, you're, they think you're mad. What is it that's keeping us? You see, there's fear that keeps us from the mighty work of God, and then there's faithlessness that keeps us from the mighty work of God. Verse number 34, look at it. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Let me tell you, he spoke those words to a single person. I believe it was in the heart of the Savior to turn to an entire crowd and speak those words to all of them. Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. And now we come back to, the, to the, the story we began. We sort of paused Jairus. He, he's frantically trying to get Jesus to his daughter. Verse number 35. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Note the words of Jesus. Be not afraid, only believe. So, watch this. Jairus' daughter's dying. He's at his wits' end. He doesn't know what he's to do. And then somebody tells him, Hey, did you know that Jesus showed up in town? And his heart just leaps. He thinks, This is it. There's an answer. There's a cure. I can only, if I can just get him here. And he goes and he gets Jesus and he's in a hurry. He says, Jesus, please come with me. And, and the son of God agrees to go with him. And then, by the way, God always puts that parentheses there, doesn't he? We say, hey, God, did you know that, that this is the best timetable? And, and most often he says, no. No, not the best. And Jairus is standing there, and he's becoming more and more impatient. And he's thinking to himself, great. Lady, I'm glad you're healed. Wonderful. My child is dying. And Jesus slowly turns to her, and he speaks to her so tenderly and so lovingly. Daughter, thy faith has saved thee. And you know what's happening in Jairus' mind? Wrap it up. Let's go. (laughs) Honestly, look, let's be for real. His daughter's dying. He's desperate. And then it all all comes crashing down on him when someone comes from the house and they say, you don't need him anymore. She's gone. As a father, as a parent, you can only imagine that sinking feeling. She's gone. There's no hope. Don't bother the master anymore. And note the words of Jesus. What's he saying? Don't be fearful. Don't be faithless. By the way, this is actually not the first time that Jesus has said this. This is something that he actually uh, kind kind of keys in on a lot. We begin in Mark chapter 5, but in Mark chapter 4, at the end of the chapter, they're coming across the sea in the storm. Verse number 37, there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow, and they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and he said, Peace, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, isn't this interesting? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Jesus said, look, the, the mighty works are here. I can do anything. Calm your sea, no problem. Why are you so fearful? Why are you so faithless? You know what he was asking them? Why'd you forget? He's already turned the water into wine right in front of them. He's already cast out multiple demons out of people. He's already healed people. Uh, He's already healed the the man with the withered hand. He's, He's done all these things. Blind have already been made to see. Lame have already been made to walk. We don't even know all the miracles that Jesus has performed, but we know that he's performed many of them right in front of the eyes of these who are now so fearful in the storm. And Jesus has to ask this question. After everything that you have seen? Why are you still afraid? And why don't you have any faith? Now go back to Jairus. And Jesus says in the same sweet tone, he says, be not afraid. Hey, Jairus, look, I know your heart wants to break right now. I know you want to lose all hope. I know that your world wants to just fall apart. But check this out, Jairus. I have a whole bunch of mighty works. I'm about to show you something that's going to blow your mind. Don't be afraid. Believe me me say something Jairus has a he's got a choice to make am I going to forget or am I going to remember Jairus what you just see what you just see Jairus well I'll tell you what I saw I, I saw the son of God heal a woman who has an issue of blood for 12 years and he just spoke to her and said that her sins were forgiven that she'd been saved by faith hey Jairus who can do that Only God can do that, all right? Stay right there. Stay right there on only God can do that. Verse number 37. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. When he was come in, he saith unto him, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel's not dead, but sleepeth. They laughed him to scorn, but when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Kumi, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. Straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that nothing should be given her to, or excuse me, that, that something should be given her to eat. So what's, this, what's the story? The story is his daughter lives. That's the story. And do you know why? Because he didn't forget. He He'd already seen with his eyes. He's seen what the Son of God can do. And his, his flesh and his heart and everything, every part of his nature says, it's over, it's done, it's finished, there's nothing more that can be, that, that can be accomplished here. And Jesus so lovingly and sweetly just says to him, Jorias, I need you to do something right now. I need you to trust me. Don't be afraid. Believe me. I wonder after 75 years of ministry in this place, What is it that we haven't seen God do? But have we forgotten? In your own life, what victories have you seen won, but have you forgotten? In the life of your family, what prayers have you seen answered, but have we forgotten? Let me tell you something, when we forget who God is and when we, when we forget what he has already done and how he has already proven himself to us, then we will no longer see his mighty works because as we forget, watch, we become fearful and we become faithless. Hold your place if you would here and turn with me back into the book of the Psalms, the 77th Psalm. It's a psalm of, of Asaph. And Asaph says in verse number one, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice. And he gave ear unto me in the day of my trouble. I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. When he says in verse three that he remembered God, he remembered that all of these things that were in his life, God had allowed these things. And they're not good things, right? This is, this is, a, this is a very difficult season for him. Verse four. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever, and will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies, Selah? And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? It's a a rhetorical question, but, but look, every once in a while, we need to ask ourselves this question. Who is so great a God as our God? You say, look, COVID's messing everything up. Who is so great a God as our God? I can't believe what some of these people are doing in our nation and the rioting and the looting and the craziness, the insanity, the lying, and the deceiving, all the politicizing of everything. And we think, is there any hope for America? And I'm saying to you and to me tonight, is is there not so great a God as our God? The answer is no. Verse 14, thou art the God that does wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah, Verse 16, the waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The sky sent out sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightning lightened the earth. The earth trembled and shook. Verse 19, thy way is in the sea and thy path in the great waters and thy footsteps are not known. The ocean in in Scripture, the ocean is always a type of trouble and turmoil. The ever-churning waves of the ocean, no stability there. It's trouble and it is turmoil constantly. That is why in the new heaven and the new earth, the Bible says in Revelation, and there was no sea He's cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea and one day he gets rid of that turmoil, that trouble, that that churning waves, but watch this. He says in verse number 19 as he is rehearsing to himself the power of God, the ability of God, what God has already done in his life. He says in verse number 19, "Lord, thy way is in the sea." What does that mean? It means there is no painless way to follow Jesus. That means, as Job said, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. You live in a sin-cursed world inside of a sin-cursed body. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be trial. And by the way, not only that, but God actually takes you through the sea on purpose. He says, thy way is in the sea. Why am I standing here expecting that there's going to be no trouble in life? Why am I going to to expect that there's no trial, there's no difficult thing? The songwriter said, must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? No, it's just not going to happen that way. He says, Lord, your way is in the sea and your path is in the great waters and thy footsteps are not known. I'm not always going to understand what God is doing. So what do I do when things get rough and I don't understand what God is doing? I throw my hands up and I say, well, there's no mighty works that can happen here. I'm just going to be satisfied with whatever few little sick folk. And that's just how we'll, you know, we'll just sort of sputter and chug our way into heaven and fall across that finish line and say, well, glad we made it. And the Son of God is present with us. His Spirit lives inside of us. And He says, there's so much more that I can do. There are such mighty works. Watch. Things that you never even imagine. You know what I find interesting? That in this triad of stories here, he saves the greatest for last, and he saves the greatest for the one who did not forget. Casting out a demon? Whew! That's pretty big. Healing a woman with an issue of blood? It's amazing. But here's a dead girl. You know what I believe God's saying to us? If you won't forget... The greatest work is still coming. But have we forgotten? He says, I went to my own, the ones that I should have done the most for. My hands were tied because they were afraid. They didn't want me to disrupt their lives. They didn't didn't want me to, to really shake things up. They had no faith. And they'd forgotten who I was and what I'd already done. And I'M SAYING TO YOU, TO ME, TO US CORPORATELY, WHAT ABOUT THE MIGHTY WORKS?
0: THANK YOU FOR LISTENING TO THIS MESSAGE FROM TABERNACLE BAPTIST CHURCH. WE PRAY THAT GOD HAS USED HIS WORD TO SPEAK TO YOUR HEART TODAY. IF YOU'D LIKE TO LEARN MORE ABOUT THE MINISTRIES OF TABERNACLE BAPTIST CHURCH, YOU CAN GO TO OUR WEBSITE TABERNACLEHICKORY.ORG.